You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 89 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. On this fine Wednesday, we have uh, actually a lot of stuff to talk about. Nothing uh, huge happened between uh, yesterday's show and today's show, so it gives us an opportunity to sort of bounce around a little bit. No massive uh, topics. Kind of going to hit a few mailbag questions, check up on some of the projection systems. Uh, but the one piece of actual news is that Mike Scott uh, was assigned to the D-League late uh, on Monday night. Uh, that actually took place after I recorded the show that posted on Tuesday morning. Uh, so we've not t- talked about that at all, but uh, Mike, Mike Scott made his, uh, his D-League debut, so to speak, on Tuesday evening. Uh, he played 15 minutes for the Delaware 87ers, uh, which is the uh, the Philadelphia 76ers affiliate. Uh, Mike was 2 of 7 from the floor, 0 of 4 from 3. He had 4 points and 3 rebounds in those 15 minutes of play. Uh, the AJC is also reporting that Mike Scott is expected to play at least one more game um, in Delaware. The uh, team plays on Wednesday night against uh, the Westchester Knicks. Uh, so maybe we'll have another chance to see Mike uh, on Wednesday evening. I did not, candidly, I did not get to watch this game. I was uh, out and about on Tuesday night and missed this one. So I did not, cannot report specifics on what I saw from Mike in this spot, but I'm fully behind sending him to the D-League. Um, Scott did not look comfortable. I mentioned that on a couple of the last uh, few shows that I've done uh, when, when he's got on, onto the court. Scott did not look fully healthy to me, uh, not, not look like the explosive player, the explosive leaper. You know, Scott's not the most athletic guy in the world, but when, when he shoots a jump shot, you can certainly tell that he's not 100% healthy, and Mike Budnolzer has talked about how uh, Scott did not really have a training camp this year. So uh, this kind of extended little uh, situation where he can get some playing time, uh, is, it's probably good for Scott's development. I still think that he has a role on the Atlanta Hawks this season. Uh, I'm not the biggest Mike Scott fan, to be uh, candid and honest about that. I've talked about that on a couple of different platforms previously, but he does bring a uh, skill set to the table as a shooter that the Hawks could really use. Uh, in the, even in the front court, he could really use that uh, floor spacing ability from Mike and the fact that he, last year at least, played a more competent defense than, you, uh, than he has played in the past. I'm still skeptical that Scott's actually uh, somewhere near a 40% three-point shooter as he was in 2015-2016. But at the same time, I think it, it would be good to have him around, especially because I'm not really, I'm not really a true believer in Chris Humphreys uh, in the front court. So uh, Ryan Kelly versus Mike Scott is pretty clearly in the Mike Scott column. In fact, uh, if he's able to come back and play, and the Hawks have any sort of issue elsewhere on the roster, uh, you could look you look look to Kelly as a guy who could be on the short list to. Uh, possibly be moved on from for the Hawks. For instance, if the Hawks needed a point guard in an emergency situation, if either Schroeder or Delaney suffered an injury or was going to miss a few games, they could move on from Kelly now that Scott was back and uh, in order to sign a point guard of some sort. So don't want to get ahead of ourselves too much there, but Mike Scott is in the D-League for probably one more game, according to that report from Chris Vivenmore at the AJC. And uh, he looked, you know, from all accounts, okay here, but for 15 minutes, it'd be interesting to see if he can play a little bit more, potentially shoot a little better because, you know, 0-4 from Mike, if he's not back jump shots it's definitely harder to play him than it is uh, if he is making them so uh, we'll keep an eye on that and that's kind of the one uh, news item on this day 
Uh, second thing I wanted to get to on today's show is an update on a couple of projection systems for the Atlanta Hawks. Obviously, things have not gone particularly well for the Hawks on the court in the last 10-11 uh, games here. The Hawks are 1-10 in their last 11, uh, and that is really submarine them in a bunch of these project- projection systems. I want to check in on those. Uh, these, these kind of things take out all the emotion, you know, all of the, uh, all of the anger and stuff like that about having a, a situation where the Hawks play as poorly as they have. It, it becomes easy as humans to overreact in one way or the other. So if you take a look at the numbers, that can often kind of give you a more accurate baseline. Um, first and foremost, uh, 5, 538, which we've referenced on the show several times before and during the season. Uh, they were very low on the Hawks coming into the year, so it's not going to be a surprise, at least to me, that they uh, are still low on the Hawks. Uh, they project a 36-46 and 46 record for the Hawks. This is as of uh, Tuesday's, uh, actually you know, prior to Tuesday's game, so as of, as of Tuesday morning, afternoon-ish. Um, so the, it, this could have adjusted by the time you see this, but probably not by too much considering the Hawks have not played since then. A 36 and 46, 36 and 46, I should say, uh, projection for 538 with a 35% playoff chance. Uh, that's pretty uh, pretty ugly. I, I mean, I, actually, that probably is a little bit lower than I would even say at this point. But uh, worth knowing that 538 has been pretty low on the team all, all year all along. So not not a surprise necessarily, but definitely a lot lower than it was a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Number Fire, who is gracious enough to send along a lot of their stats to uh, to me in preparation uh, for some stuff on Petri Hoops. Number Fire. So shout, shout out to those guys. They sent along some numbers. Uh, they project the Hawks at 41 and 41 with a 59% chance to make the playoffs. That was a little bit a little bit rosier than uh, 538, obviously. And the last one that I wanted to get to is basketball reference. Uh, the greatest tool of any basketball writer or any, really any, any basketball fan on the internet is basketball reference. The It's basically just an unimaginable uh, haven for stats. Um, so shout out to those guys for keeping that thing maintained. It's, it's just a phenomenal resource. Um, fi- basketball reference has, has the Hawks at 38 and 44 with a 34% playoff chance this season. Uh, the fourth one I wanted to hit on is not actually a projection system, but uh, ESPN's Basketball Power Index does have the Hawks at number seven in the Eastern Conference, which is actually a little bit higher than the other three. They do not do uh, win-loss projections or, uh, per- or playoff odds at this point in time, but uh, pretty pretty encouraging there versus the other three. Um, for me, the closest one to where I actually am is probably basketball reference, maybe number five. I do think that the Hawks are likely to win more than 36 games, which is what the 538 model says that's uh, coming from me, who is uh, pretty low on the team and has been all year. Uh, I've actually th- feels like I've been positive more so than a lot of people over over this entire losing streak because I'm I'm really co- sort of a middle kind of guy. But um, you know, I think at this point in time, it's it's kind of d- difficult to project because the team is so good early and so bad lately that uh, if you kind of split the difference, you're looking at about a 500 team. So you know, 41 and 41 seems you know at least semi reasonable. I put out a poll on Peachtree Hoops uh, on Tuesday. Asking fans whether I thought um, they would that the Hawks would finish in the top four, the uh, the top four seeds in the East, or the bottom four playoff seeds in the East, or whether they would miss the playoffs. And uh, unsurprisingly, at least to me, the uh, most popular choice there was the five through eight seeds in the Eastern Conference. Um, that's you know that's kind of where I think they'll probably end up. Um, but missing the playoffs certainly looks more likely than it did uh, not long ago. I will definitely admit to that. And uh, you know before the season, I, I kind of got uh, yelled at a lot for saying the Hawks could miss the playoffs, and I still feel that way. But sixty six percent of those votes um, out of you know almost, <clears throat> almost five hundred votes um, thought the Hawks would finish between the five and the eight seed. 
in the Eastern Conference. That sounds about right to me. Um, I think probably towards eight versus five at this point in time, because I think there's definitely uh, certainly three teams that are solidly going to be ahead of the Hawks. Uh, coming, and it's really the same three teams that I thought coming into the year, uh, Cleveland, Toronto, and Boston. I also think Charlotte would be certainly a team that I would project to be finishing ahead of the Hawks. So that's that's four. And then beyond that, you know, Chicago has been better early on. I'm not a believer in, in Chicago, but they, are, they have been better than the Hawks to this point. Milwaukee has been pretty encouraging. Milwaukee will be uh, facing off against the Hawks later this week, and we'll talk about that. Uh, talk about that game later in the podcast. But um, you know, lots to get to here. I don't, I don't, I don't want to put too much stock in the projected systems, but want to update you guys on uh, on this little off day that the Hawks have in between games on what the on what those things are saying at this point in time because it's it could often be a, a valuable resource to take the emotion out of it and the projected systems are not terribly high on Atlanta after this recent string and uh, I actually put together a little bit of a I believe I tweeted this out um on, on Tuesday, but since that 3-0 start for the Hawks that was uh, pretty much dominant in those three games, the Hawks have played 19 games since then. They have a net rating that is actually worse than negative 5 points per, per 100 possessions. That would rank within the bottom 5 of the entire NBA in net rating. That is very, very ugly. The team is 7-12 and 12 over those games, obviously. Um, you know, and obviously, it's, it's an arbitrary endpoint to say, you know, take out three of the best performances of the season, uh, but they, because they came early on and everything was kind of clicking in that first week of the year. Uh, it's basically since November 1st that these those stats are the case where they basically have a negative five net rating, and that is really, really not good. So lots to uh, lots to get to. Obviously, there's more there's more basketball to be played. There's much more basketball to be played. We we basically have completed a quarter of the season. So uh, I'm I'm big on not overreacting in either direction. But uh, the 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 outlook is not exactly the most rosy for the Hawks compared to where it was a couple of weeks ago. Um, before we move on to the mailbag that I'm going to get to on today's show, I do want to talk to you a little bit about our sponsor for today's podcast, and that sponsor is BetDSI.com. Do you love basketball? Or are you ready to get into the action? Check out BetDSI.com. The website has more than 20 years in the business, and it is one of the top-rated sites in the industry. It is safe, the lines are up-to-date, and perhaps best of all, BetDSI.com has a great basketball-centric special running right now that I want to tell you about. Sign up today and get $10 free to, to try their service with no strings attached. In addition to the free money, BetDSI is also offering a 100% bonus on your first deposit with the site, and that is, of course, a fantastic deal. BetDSI has phenomenal customer service, fast and easy payment of winnings, and hundreds of football, basketball, baseball, and MMA wagers to choose from, with other sports and props including auto racing, golf, hockey, and much, much more. For good measure, BetDSI even has live in-game wagering on all football, basketball, and other major sporting events, and you can play virtually everything on the site. Go to BetDSI.com now, that's BetDSI.com, to try the site today, and you can use the promo code HAWKS10, that's H-A-W-K-S-1-0, to get your free wager and start winning today. That's HAWKS10 and BetDSI. Hi, this is Maury Moreland Morrison, here to tell you GEICO has more than just great savings. Much more. Yes, while GEICO could help you rack up more moolah faster than you can say metamorphosis, they've also been the fastest growing auto insurer for more than 10 years. That's more like it. Furthermore, GEICO has fast and friendly claim service. That might seem like an oxymoron, but it's not. All the more reason to say no other auto insurer has more more than GEICO. GEICO. Expect great savings and a whole lot more. SI.com. 
Thanks again to Bet DSI for sponsoring today's show. I want to get into the mailbag. We have not done a full-on mailbag in quite some time, so the time was right here on this fine Wednesday, and we'll hit a few questions here. So the first one comes from Kevin Troy on Twitter. Uh, Before the question he actually asked me, he was talking to me about trying to diagnose some car trouble that he had. So uh, sadly, Kevin, I don't have the slightest clue about that, but you did ask a basketball question, so I wanted to get to that here on the show. Uh, And he asked, how do you foresee the rest of the year playing out for Torian Prince? Um, it's very interesting. You know, Prince has, has been featured in the rotation a couple of times here, but when the Hawks are fully healthy, um, the, but Mike Budenholzer has been uh, not not loath to play him, but, but I would say hesitant to play Prince in a close game if the if the team is at full strength. And I would I would I would defend that. Uh, I, I do think Prince is solidly behind the four veteran wings ahead of him. You know, you know, there's an argument to be made that he's probably played better than Kent Bazemore at times, but because Bazemore is obviously not going to be taken out of the rotation anytime soon, uh, and the Hawks do not trust Prince at the power forward spot. I've briefly mentioned that a couple of times here. There's been some speculation that he could play some power forward, even from even from me. But uh, the, the two or three times that I've asked Mike Budenholzer and the staff about that, they have been uh, hesitant to let Prince play power forward. You've seen him in some small ball lineups alongside Tabo Cephalosha, but in those lineups, Cephalosha is really playing power forward. And uh, you know, while Prince is bigger and stronger and perhaps profiles more as a small ball forward down the line, they're not ready to play him there yet. So it will be very, very interesting for Prince uh, to see what the rest of the rotation looks like throughout the year. Um, obviously, there's a trade deadline in February. It, at, at this point, it would probably surprise me if the Hawks did not make a move in either direction. If the Hawks decide that they're going to be playing better here and want, and want to kind of go in for a you know towards a deeper playoff run, the Hawks could make a, a move or two to bolster the uh, rotation. If not, if the team sort of flounders over the next month, month and a half. They could be looking to sell off parts, and if they do that, you have a couple of guys in Cephalosha and Corver who are expiring contracts. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. will be a restricted free agent at the end of this year, for instance, as a third guy. So that's three or four wings that are not guaranteed to be, guaranteed to be on this team next year. If they were to move off from one of the, one or two of those guys and trade in order to look toward the future, you could be opening up some, some rotation minutes for Prince. And if they did that, I would expect him to play extended time just to uh, go on more of a development curve. So. In terms of uh, guaranteed playing time, I'm not really sure. That was kind of what I thought coming into the year is that Prince would start off slow, perhaps have the opportunity to earn his way into the rotation. But because the guy who I thought was the obvious uh, choice to overtake in, in Hardaway Jr. has played so well by his standards to this point in the season, there really isn't that obvious place for Prince to get minutes. I'd like to see the Hawks play him more because, frankly, I don't think this is going to be a championship team this year. So prioritizing uh, the future would be a smart move in my mind, but I'm not sure that's going to happen. It's going to depend on you know injuries and kind of roster movement as the season goes on. So I like what I've seen from Torian Prince for the most part to this point in time. I liked him in the draft. I was happy with that pick. It's looking to be a pretty decent one for me at this point, but uh, the jury is still, uh, still out. We've not seen enough of him to kind of make sweeping judgments about Prince, but I like to see him play more. I'm just not sure that's definitely going to happen this season, or at least uh, until late in the year. Uh, the next question is from at ATL Hawks Fanatic, who's a friend of the show and a contributor to Peachtree Hoops. So shout out to him, a salary cap expert. If you ever, if you ever have a salary cap question that uh, he'd be willing to answer, I would hope he would uh, let me know if there. If I, 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 at least at least once or twice on the podcast, I've messed stuff up that he's told me about the salary cap, and he's a great a great great friend in that regard. Uh, he asks me, uh, "Do you think it's time for the Hawks to have another players only meeting?" Uh, that's a tongue and sheet comment from from my friend here, but um, it is kind of easy to make fun of at this point that the Hawks had that players only meeting last week, and since then they have not won a game. 
Um, I, these things are overrated, in my opinion. You know, having a players-only meeting is a fun narrative, and you know, getting getting behind getting together behind closed doors to sort of you know talk to each other, p- potentially yell at each other, and kind of work out problems is a convenient thing. If you if you suddenly play well after that, you, you can kind of turn back and you know point to, point to that event as sort of a turning point. But obviously, that's not happened for the Hawks in this instance, uh, and I think you know. It's easy to make fun of. I wouldn't be surprised if there's another one on the horizon if the, if the team keeps struggling uh, later in this week. But uh, for me, that's sort of an overrated thing, and that was uh, I'm sure the question is pointing to that as well. Uh, the next question comes from David, either Goot or Gut. I apologize. I don't know the pronunciation here, but thank you for the question. Uh, he asks, is there any inside info on the Paul Millsap situation? Will it take the Max to re-sign him? And if, we, and if the Hawks sell at the deadline, what can we expect? Uh, this is obviously uh, an in-depth question. Um, first of all, I have no inside info on Millsap at this point in time. Uh, only my only my speculation and stuff that I've heard of from over the summer. Nothing new since the summer on Paul. I've shared this a couple times before, um, but I heard the same thing that most people heard about Millsap in the aftermath of July. I don't think he was very happy with the overall direction of free agency this year. That's not, that's not a shot at Dwight Howard, but more a shot of how things were handled. The fact that he was placed in trade rumors in July, I think I still think that that probably has a negative effect on him uh, being willing to re-sign for anything less than the max. Um, so the question about Paul Millsap signing for anything less than the max is an interesting one. You know, this year he's not been quite as good as he was a year ago. I will still say that Paul is tremendous and a top 20 player in the league or so. Um, but if he does not pick it up back to closer closer to where he was last year, it makes it harder to justify a max contract for a guy who's already going to be 32 years old. Um, but... I do think Paul's going to get, if not the max, he's going to get somewhere in the neighborhood of thirty million dollars a year, and that's you know that's not the max for what he is as a ten-year guy in the NBA. So that seems like a lot of money because it is. Uh, but I think his starting salary will be somewhere in that you know at least at least high twenties to low thirties uh, per season. That's a lot of money for Paul. It's a lot of money for anybody, but a guy who is going to be aging. Um, for me, if the Hawks could, tr- could talk him into taking a three-year max deal, I would absolutely do that. Uh, if it's a four-year situation. You're looking at him getting into his mid, legitimate mid to even upper 30s by the end of that deal, and that's not ideal for uh, really anybody. I think Paul's going to age well, but there's there's some caveats there. We'll have plenty of time to talk about Paul's free agency, but since it was asked, I want to hit on that a little bit. Um, the question about selling at the deadline, though, is uh, the next. Uh, also, pretends to the next question, which comes from Caleb Heinz, and he asks who is most likely to be traded. Uh, I touched on it a little bit with Prince, but I do think that the Hawks have. It's going to be interesting over about the next six to eight weeks uh, as to what the Hawks are going to do. I, I, for me, I'm going to argue probably either way that the team should be selling at least to some degree at the deadline to be looking toward the future. This team has too many free agents uh, who might not be back between between Millsap and Corver and Cephalosha and uh, Muscala is going to be a free agent here in the, here in the near future. Hardaway Jr. restricted free agent. Uh, Humphreys is going to be a free agent. Uh, there's there's lots and lots of guys. Uh, you know, Splitter obviously is not healthy, but it's going to be he's an expiring contract that you could use in a trade if you want to take on a little bit more salary. There's stuff that they can do. Uh, by the trade deadline this year, um, I think they're going to be active. Uh, I would argue, even you know, even if the Hawks suddenly play better and they look, look like they're on their way to like the five seed in the East, I would still like to see them move on from a couple of these guys in order to look toward the future. Because there's almost no scenario in which they bring the entire band back together for 2017-2018. Even if they sign Millsap, which I don't think is a given by any stretch, I can't imagine they're going to be paying both Corver and Cephalosha 
as well as matching a big deal on Tim Hardaway Jr. So uh, the wing situation is going to look different. There's just not enough money on this team. I, I mean, for as much as they don't, they're not super shy under the new ownership group about spending money. But this is also not going to be a team that goes into the tax. So they're not going to go out and pay everybody uh, to bring back like a four or five seed. That would be a bad idea. So keep an eye on all of that. Um, you know, in terms of if selling up three line, what to expect from Paul, from a Paul Millsap deal. Uh, if, if the Hawks traded Paul Millsap, they would get a lot back for him. That's the big argument for trading Millsap is that um, if, you, if you don't want to pay his next contract, and there's definitely an argument for that, it's for as good as Paul is, it's probably going to get ugly at the end of that contract, almost like it almost does for everyone who signs a big deal at age 32, 33. It's going to probably get ugly, so there's an argument against it. If you wanted to trade and get some value for him now versus letting him walk for nothing, uh, I think in retrospect, you know, if the, if the Hawks had traded Al Horford last year uh, at the trade deadline, that would have been a wise move because you know Horford walked for nothing. They got nothing for Al Horford, who was the best player on the team for you know half a decade, and they got nothing for him when he walked to free agency. I, I, I pretty, I, I'm pretty strong on my convictions that the Hawks will be better off to avoid that situation this year. Um, even if you think Paul wants to come back, um, I don't think he, I don't think he does. To be honest, in terms of uh, not that he's you know averse to coming back, but I don't think he's going to be giving the team a hometown discount or anything like that. That, given the way that he uh, that things have gone down, the way the team is playing right now, so uh, for me, I'll be looking at the market for Paul. Uh, you could potentially get a, a, a king's ransom for him, even though he is an unexpiring contract. Teams like the Raptors or maybe somebody might want to go all in for this year by adding what I think is a consensus top 20, 25 player in the league. That'd be a huge get on the free, on the uh, trade market. So if they did that, um, the Hawks could look to you know, stock the cover for the future if they wanted to rebuild. It's a tough sell to do that now, which is one of the reasons I did not like the Howard and Bazemore moves because um, that kind of, you know, it's it's kind of tough to tank when you're paying, um, not you know, not even full on tank, but kind of tough to rebuild on the fly when you're paying Howard what, you're, what he's making. You're paying Baysmore, what he's making. You're paying now Schroeder, what he's making. Those three guys basically are making about a combined, you know, seventy-five million or so. No, sixty-five million or so. I'm sorry. Um, oh, my, I'm bad at math. Let me <laughs> let me say that right now. I'm bad at math. It's actually about fifty-five million dollars. Uh, there we go. Fifty-five million dollars uh, per season for the next couple of years for those three guys. And while that's not that's not crippling by any means, considering the salary cap is going up. But at the same time, that, that kind of uh, takes away a lot of your flexibility in terms of going out and signing a big ticket free agent. So, you know, the, the, probably the best move would be to go through the draft. This team does not love doing that. I think avoiding a rebuild has been something that they wanted to do for a long time now for obvious reasons, you know, selling ticket reasons, the fact that uh, the Hawks don't really value draft picks in the same way a lot of other, a lot of other front, front offices potentially might. That's kind of what I've heard. The entire time during the uh, Budenholzer Wilcox administration, so uh, a lot of moving parts here. It, but in the end, it's probably going to depend greatly on how the Hawks play in the next six to eight weeks. So if you're rooting for the uh, team to uh, sort of blow it up a little bit, you might you might want to start rooting against the Hawks to, to succeed. As much as that's not a lot of fun to do as a fan of a team, but if you're rooting for everybody to keep to everybody to come back, if you if you like Paul and want him to get paid, uh, root for the team to play better because that's going to improve the chances that Paul Millsap and Kyle Korver and Tabo Sefalosha and those guys are back for another season. Uh, last mailbag question of the day comes from Brad Martin. First of all, a fantastic first name. Uh, but he asks, are logistics important in regards to correcting the problems the Hawks have right now? Can, can the team prepare better since the long road trip is now over? This is very interesting in that um, Chris Vivamore of the AJC, who we've talked about a lot on this podcast, does a good job on the beat um, for the AJC. He actually did a post, um, I believe it ran on Tuesday morning, 
or maybe late Wednesday night about the fact about basically you know five different things that the Hawks um, you know are suffering from in, in, during this latest struggle, and that piece included a couple of nods to a lack of practice time, which I you know this is basically this question is asking how much a lack of practice time would would matter. Um, he quotes Kyle Corwin in the story that says uh, we haven't been able to practice we we haven't been able to have practice time, and Corver uh, says that the team has came uh, came out of training camp and that and that first month going nine and two, but didn't practice for twenty two days and went one and ten. And Corver also says that there is a direct correlation between uh, the way they're playing and not practicing. I'm skeptical of that to a certain degree. Agree, although with a team that's as well coached and as system based as the Hawks are with Boot and Holster, there probably could be something to be said for that. In that, you know, potentially Atlanta is more reliant on that kind of stuff than other franchises are. You know, to say that the Hawks would have suddenly gone seven and four instead of one and ten during the stretch if they were able, if they were able to practice, I'm skeptical of. But it could help to have a full practice, and the team did have that on Tuesday. Um, I will be I'll be the first one to tell you on Thursday morning uh, for that show that if the Hawks come out and win by 20, I'm not going to suddenly praise the practice on Tuesday for doing that. It's going to be, uh, probably have a lot more to do with playing a team in Miami at home that is not very good and the fact that the Hawks uh, sort of turn things around a little bit starting on Monday against Oklahoma City. So uh, the reactionary, the narrative stuff will not be what you get from me in that instance, but I do think uh, there could be a direct correlation between the two and uh, we'll see how the Hawks look as far far as cohesion, especially on the offensive end of the court, because there were some, there were some positive strides in that game against Oklahoma City, but in the end, they still scored at less than a point per, per possession in that contest. And while the ball movement, ball movement was better, the lack of shooting and stuff, that, that stuff's not going to go away just by a practice. So Budnozer can get creative. He's very, very good at X's and O's. That's one of the reasons why he's one of the top you know, 10 coaches, 10 coaches in the entire NBA. But there's a lot of work to be done, and it will not all be covered over by one practice on, uh, on Tuesday in early December. Uh, before I let you guys get out of here, and I appreciate you listening, of course, as always, I wanted to preview the next stretch of games just a little bit. The Hawks have three games uh, that, uh, for over the next week. Before it's kind of it's kind of kind of a, kind of a lighter, weird schedule for the Hawks. It's probably had a good time. The Hawks uh, play uh, tonight, as you're listening to this, Wednesday night, as they face off with the Heat at home. The Miami will be on the second game of a, of a back-to-back set after playing the Knicks on Tuesday. That uh, gives the Hawks a leg up, and that uh, the team uh, that will be coming into Phillips Arena could be pretty tired in Miami. Um, Paul Millsap is also listed as probable in that game. He played, of course, and played well on Monday, so no surprise that Millsap will be listed as probable, but it looks like he'll be uh, back, and Hawks will be at near full strength with only Tiago Splitter out of the lineup, and potentially Mike Scott, of course, uh, staying in the D-League, while, and that's not official yet. I'm expecting him to not be available, so that will be uh, that will mean that DeAndre Bember will, will be active in that game for as much as that matters uh, in this particular contest. Uh, I expect the Hawks to be favored solidly in Las Vegas in terms of this, this particular game. Uh, number fire at least before Tuesday's action uh, had had the, had the Hawks as a seventy one percent chance of winning that game. Um, not a surprise, you know. Miami's not an awful team, but not a good team either. And have them, having them on a back to back versus a rested Hawks team gives Atlanta the advantage. So that's a game that really would be good for the Hawks to win if they lose it. Um, they'll see more and more panic transpiring because that's a game that the Hawks just basically definitely need. 
at this point in time. Uh, after that, the Hawks uh, go back on the road. They play the Milwaukee Bucks on Friday. Uh, Milwaukee has played very, very well this season, kind of shockingly to me. Without Chris Middleton in the lineup, Milwaukee has been very good, and that's a uh, credit to Giannis Antetokounmpo and Jabari Parker for uh, carrying the water there for the Bucks. That's a spot where the Hawks could be underdogs, uh, could be a close uh, sort of coin flip, coin flip situation in terms of Las Vegas, but a lot of that could depend on how the team plays on Wednesday. And uh, after that, um, the Hawks have a bit of a long break, have Saturday, Sunday, and Monday off before hosting the Orlando Magic next Tuesday. Um, all that, all that to say, the Hawks better get two of these three games. Um, they'll be solidly favored in two of them, the two home games. And uh, if they, for some reason, drop one of those, that would not be great. But they'll at least have the opportunity to go on the road and have a winnable game against Milwaukee on Friday. So the uh, you know you never want to say anything terribly strong about schedule stuff in early to mid early to mid December. But it would be it would, it would certainly behoove the Hawks to go out and get a couple of wins, if not all three wins, over this three game stretch. And I wanted to get out in front of that a little bit here. Uh, that's going to do it for today's show. I'll be in attendance on Wednesday night for the uh, for the Heat game, so you'll get a podcast from me immediately after that. Uh, probably probably live from the arena. We'll see how that transpires. But we'll certainly be talking about that game and anything else that pops up. I appreciate you guys listening. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, however you get podcasts. Follow me on Twitter at bt roland. Follow the show on. Twitter at Lockdown Hawks and also on Facebook at Lockdown Hawks. We'll be back again on Thursday morning. And as always, thanks for listening. With the holidays around the corner, now's your chance to save time and money at Safeway Stock Up Sale. Plus, earn four times gas reward points on participating items. Look for tags on items like Honey Nut Cheerios. Select varieties are four for eight dollars with your club card. And select varieties of Betty Crocker Cake Mix, Brownie Mix, or Frosting are ten for ten dollars with your club card. Maximum gas reward at participating Sunoco stations is twenty cents per gallon and one dollar per gallon at Safeway stations in a single fill of up to twenty-five gallons. Other restrictions, limitations, and exclusions apply. For complete details, go to Safeway.com.